Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 265. You know, as far as cars go, you know, buy what you love. Then you don't have to worry about anything else. And that's, I know that's a cliche. It's a cliche for a reason. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Award-winning author and designer Dwight Knowlton has done it again. His book, The Greatest Race, is now available. The Greatest Race is the story of Sir Sterling Moss's epic and record-crushing win of the 1955 Mille Miglia in the Mercedes-Benz 300 SLR. In collaboration with Sir Sterling Moss himself, Dwight has created a wonderful children's book from this epic race as a follow-up to his best-selling book, The Little Red Racing Car. I have my own copy of The Greatest Race, and I can tell you, this kid's impressed. Like his previous book, this one is printed in the USA. Check out Dwight's Carpe Viem brand, where you can find both of his books, shirts, and more that embrace his seize the road philosophy. Enjoy Carpe Viem at carpegear.com, and be sure to sign up for his newsletter while you're at his website. That's carpegear.com, C-A-R-P-E gear.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, Myron Vernis. Myron, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Well, Mark, I'm telling you, I've got the racing seat at my desk here. I don't have a seat belt, but I'm holding on tight. Okay, I'll promise not to hit any walls, okay? (laughs) All right. Myron Vernis has one of the most eccentric car collections in the world. At Jalopnik, he's known as Junkman. And at his garage in Ohio, he's simply an automotive enthusiast with a taste for the unique, the odd, and the rare. He ran the Glenmore Gathering of Significant Automobiles for 18 years in Canton, Ohio, He claims to have a real bad case of automotive ADD. Just a few of his cars include the XR1, the Olsen Eagle, a one-off X8, an Aileron Spider, a Paxton, and a Gia 450 SS. If you know what any of these cars are, you are a true blue car guy or car gal. Myron has over 75 unique cars, and he's always looking for that next ride, something that very few people have ever heard of. So, Myron, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a moment and share some more about your life and your interests and your passion for collecting very unique automobiles? First of all, Mark, thanks for, for having me on. This You're is, welcome. Uh, it's an honor and a pleasure. Oh, thank you. Just to talk about uh, my craziness here. <laughs> yes. uh, you know, as far as cars, you know, I, I guess I'm an enthusiast first and foremost since I'm really not in the business. But uh, I can't remember a time in my life, going back to my early childhood, that uh, I wasn't totally obsessed with automobiles. I uh, spent the early part of my life in Greece. Most of you that have been there would know that Greece has wonderful beaches and great cuisine and maybe the nicest people on the face of the, the earth, but uh, it's not a car-friendly culture because the roads aren't great and uh, gas is very expensive. But uh, my folks said from the time I was a little kid, two or three years old, I'd sit on the balcony uh, studying cars, trying to identify them, and uh, they can't figure out how that happens. My, <laughs> wife never, my, my mom never had an interest in getting a driver's license. My dad always thought that they were just 
evil necessities. And uh, that, that carried on through my childhood. We moved to the States when I was about five, and gosh, you know, I went from, you know, wasteland of cars to... Yes, the Mecca. Know, <laughs> the Mecca. Growing up in Akron, Ohio, uh, in the 60s and 70s, you know, all the rubber companies were based there. We were just 200 miles from Detroit. It was, uh, boy, I was, uh, you know, kid in the candy shop, you know, oh, my yeah. whole life. So it was terrific. Didn't get a chance to play with a lot of fun cars because, like I said, my dad was never into interesting cars, so we always had pretty boring sedans. Uh, but the neighborhood, all the, the kids building their hot rods and their customs, and uh, was always uh, I was always kind of hanging out with them. Usually kids were 10 or 12 years older than I was while my friends were out playing baseball, football. That's kind of how I got my education in cars and my enthusiasm never really kind of gravitated to anything until I was probably in my early teens and uh, a real pretty girl in the neighborhood had a boyfriend from the wealthier part of town and he was driving a Porsche 356 and that was something I'd never seen before mm-hmm. and he'd come over park in front of her house and uh, I'd just go sit on the on the curb <laughs> studying it <laughs> for hours on end and I think that's kind of what got me going uh, into foreign cars initially it turns out the first uh, foreign car I, I ever bought was uh, I was 19 it was a 356B coupe that was 40 years ago June 12th so and I still have the car so All right. uh, I remind my wife we've been married 32 years uh, I remind her that the car was there first and uh, <laughs> she's gotten used to it at this point first time I don't know how well it went over yeah I was kind of a, a maniac for 356s for many years got very involved in the special interest groups and back then you know 356s were pretty much throwaway cars. Nobody wanted 356s. They were into 911s and even 914s because they were new. So, you know, I, we could buy speedsters for 1500 bucks running and driving and oh. uh, you know, drive them, have fun with them, you know, and then sell them and you got a 500 or 1000 bucks to pay towards college tuition. You think uh, you're doing backflips. <laughs> you're so excited. <laughs> you're doing my, so well. my how things have changed. That's right. You know what? It makes it a little less fun. It makes it a little less fun, and I think once the market first, the uh, 356 market first started getting its first uh, inflationary period, which is probably in the mid 80s, mm-hmm. kind of it became less fun for me, and that's when I started looking at other cars that were out there, and uh, really was introduced to a whole new world of great stuff, and I still am, you know that. Uh, I went into French cars, Deutsche Benets, Matras, things like that, which I always thought were great. But then uh, I'm still discovering today. You know, at age 59, last year I bought my first hot rod. Wow! Still looking for a great custom car. But in the last few years, I've really developed a passion for Japanese cars. I grew up in a period where, at least initially when I was very young, anything from Japan was not good. Mm-hmm. Then it kind of went on, and we all know what happened to the Japanese cars uh, uh, in this country and how they kind of took over. As a matter of fact, the book that I'm reading now is an old book called The Reckoning, oh. uh, which kind of chronicles how the Japanese manufacturers took over the United States and how our manufacturers here pretty much ceded the, the, the market to them. So, yeah. But, uh, you know, what I find interesting about Japanese cars is we never really got the great stuff. They kept the great stuff for themselves. Mm-hmm. Just, like, just, like, just like the French keep the great wine for themselves, the Japanese kept the great cars for themselves. And uh, it's been a whole new learning experience tracking these cars down, learning about these cars, then tracking them down and going through whatever it takes to, to acquire them and get them over here. 
and it's opened the doors not only to a whole new area of history and culture that I wasn't aware of, but to a whole new group of people. Um, you know, you, you run through the Porsche crowd and uh, the custom car crowd and the, the Concorde crowd, but, uh, you know, Japanese car enthusiasts are, again, a whole different group of people that I wasn't exposed to in the past. And, you know, the great thing is, you know, having just as much fun, meeting just as many great people in, in this area. And uh, really, that's kind of what the greatest pleasure has been for me. I've, like you said, I've got about 75 cars. You know, at some point, they're all going to go away. It's a fact of life, right? Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, those relationships that you form with the people are really the lasting things that, that really kind of what bring humanity to the, to the, whole, uh, the whole hobby. You're right in so many ways, and I love your story in many ways, but the point about people is so keen to me. I hear it over and over again with my guests, and I know it. I've been a car guy my whole life, is cars have a magical way of bringing people together, and even people from different cultures, backgrounds, beliefs, whatever it might be. But when you get two car people together, there's an instant bond. So I love to hear that, especially in at this point in your life, you and I are about the same age. You're finding a whole new group of enthusiasts to uh, interact with and meet. I think that's fantastic. As we continue on your journey, I always like to start by asking my guests for a success quote. It's a great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars Yeah. So Myron, take the wheel. You know, I don't know if it's a real quote, but maybe something to, something to live by. And it's not eloquent by any stretch, but I've always found it to be uh, a truth for me. And that's not, not, not judging a book by its cover. You know, mm-hmm. not making assumptions about people just by what you see. We're, re- we're really bad. We're programmed in a funny way as human beings. And uh, take the time to, to meet, get to know people, whether they work for you, whether you see them on the street or at an event. And... You know, you always find out that 99.9% of the people out there are are great. Yep. Well, there again, we come back to the people. I think that's key. You talked about being born with that genetic car gene in you, despite the family that you you, uh, grew up with. Could you share a story that instigated your passion for cars? Was there a pivotal moment in your life when you just knew, okay, I'm a car guy, I give up? You know, it, again, like I said, it, there's, there was never really a time that I can recall where I wasn't a car guy, you know, even before I knew what a car guy was. <laughs> uh, I, th- I think early on, my parents thought it was a flaw in my character. But, uh, <laughs> maybe when my wife and I first started dating, and on our first date, I took her out after the night, and we, we drove a 51 Porsche that I, that I had with a crash box transmission and stuff. And, yeah, wow. And I told her that, okay, remember, that this is like my passion, and uh, I really like you. I think we're going to have a great time together, but, you know, if you can't deal with this kind of, <laughs> uh, you know, insanity, maybe we should just kind of end things right here. So <laughs> I, I guess... I guess that's the one thing I just kind of put it out there, put myself online, maybe because I cared for her so much and I could see this, that uh, it was almost like uh, standing up at AA for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Hello, my name's Myron. I'm a caraholic. <laughs> that's right. And she came back the next day, so at that point I realized it was okay. Well, I think you and I share something else then, because I've been married for 30 years, and uh, same with my wife, Jill. When we were dating, we were both in college, and I had a car detailing business, and one day she was sitting out on the lawn. I lived in San Diego and uh, detailing this guy's Porsche, and at the end she said, i never seen anybody make love to a car before. Hmm, 
That's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so she said the way you were rubbing the fenders, it's getting a little nervous there. So, uh, you know, we have married women who understand this affliction that we share. What I'd love to do now is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down and, and crawl under the hood, as I say, and get our hands a little dirty and ask you to share with our listeners a huge challenge or, or even a great failure that you faced along the way. It could be something to do with your car collecting. I know you ran the Concours event for many years. That was a challenge. They always are. But the most important part of this has to do with how did you overcome that particular situation and what did you learn from it? You know, I guess I'm kind of blessed because I really don't look at any huge failures I've had in my life. I've had, obviously, roadblocks. We all do. And the Concours is a good example. We we did what I felt was a very successful Concours. It was very well respected, uh, the Glenmore Gathering here for many years. And we did it in the most unlikely of places. Uh, the actual setting was fantastic, the Glenmore Country Club. But uh, we did it in a small community, uh, not uh, a very wealthy community. And we continued to do it. And we used to joke every year, because we get cars that were just terrific, cars that you would see on the lawn at Pebble Beach or Amelia, um, St. John's, which used to be Meadowbrook. Mm-hmm. We would get these cars, and these people would say, gosh, we love it here. This is a great event. But we would do it pretty much with smoke and mirrors, because <laughs> we had a great group of volunteers and people that were just totally passionate about it. And you know what it brought home to me was, you know, every time we faced a roadblock, people would come out of the woodwork and and make things happen. So, you know, I guess it's really not a failure. There are a lot of potential failures there, but, uh, again, kind of that life lesson of, of, you know, there there are very few bleak situations out there. It's amazing to me, given all that, you did that event for so many years, and I've been involved in Concours events. There's so much work, but, again, we come back. We keep coming back to this, the people. It's the people who step forward and help and uh, this community and the car hobby is certainly filled with wonderful people. Let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum. If you could share one of those aha moments in your life, I like to say it's a time when the headlights came on and illuminated your way for a new idea or a new direction. Maybe it's that direction you took to start collecting unique and oddball cars, as you call them. Could you tell us the steps that you took to turn your aha moment into fun and success? Again, not a big aha moment, but uh, taking the lead from what you said as far as the unique cars, as I mentioned earlier, I was very heavy into 356s, and I had a lot of them at one time, and they just kind of became commodities, and you know, people were just, eh, okay, it's another 356, and again, starting to lose the passion a little bit. Then then I, then I bought a Carrera Speedster. Hmm. Back when Carrera, when Carrera Speedsters were, oh, no, you don't want one of those pieces of crap because you can't they're, they're hard tuned. to work on. Yeah. You can't keep them running. You know, nobody wanted them. You can't give the motor away. Ugh. But you realize that, okay, I can have, as far as Speedsters go, you can have one or 4,000 pushrod Speedsters or one of 140, you know, Carrera Speedsters. And so I, I, I ventured into one despite everyone telling me I shouldn't do it. And... um you know, rare is not always valuable, but rare and special is always special. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's kind of what drove the point home for me. And I ended up doing the, and that's kind of it's been my, the, the passion of my hobby, the direction of my hobby since then is trying to find special cars. Even if it looks like a common car, just finding the more special cars to breed. I did the same thing with a Porsche 901 prototype that I got about 16 years ago traded uh, 356B Carrera Coupe, even not for it, 
without even looking at the car. And, you know, 15, 16 years ago, even though as, as white hot as early 9-11s are right now, 15, 16 years ago, nobody cared about early 9-11s. Everybody right. wanted a turbo or a 356. Uh-huh. A, lot, a lot of my friends said, gosh, why, why are you getting this old, this old 9-11? You know, you're getting rid of a, a valuable 356, which everybody wants. But it was the same thing. It was basically one of one as opposed to one of 300. And uh, the great news about getting into something like that is you're not worrying about value. So I drove the heck out of it, enjoyed it, and then all of a sudden the market kind of discovered what I accidentally stumbled on. So uh, it doesn't always work that way. But, no? <laughs> you know, it's always a nice benefit when it does. How about proudest moments in your career and in your life or in collecting? Is there one in particular that really stands out for you? You know, those moments are pretty much family moments for me because we've always involved our two girls, and my wife and I have always involved our two girls in the hobby. That's I work a lot in my business, so... When I take time off, we've always made sure that it was family time, whether it was car-related or not. More often than not, it was car-related. I, I think one of the greatest times that I recall was the first time we showed a car at Pebble Beach because it was a big deal. You know, we're just we're kind of working-class oh, yeah. people from, from Akron, Ohio, applied uh, to Pebble Beach once and got accepted uh, on our first application. And we just made a big, big deal. And we just had, I tell you, we just had the greatest, week that week we just went all out and decided to make a family long a week-long family vacation out of it and i can't say that it was the proudest moment of i mean my my youngest daughter just graduated from law school i was very proud of that of course okay? yeah not, not that kind of pride but uh as far as in the hobby something that we shared as a family it really stands out as really kind of one of the greatest weeks we've ever had. Oh, sounds like it. I have a good friend that a few years ago submitted his uh, Porsche RS Carrera for the first time and got accepted and walked away with an award. And yeah, same thing. It was just such a special event for him. And he's not, he's a car guy, but uh, hasn't done the concourse circuit, you know, by any means, has some nice cars. Uh, Same thing for him and his family. He had all of his kids come out and wife was there. So what kind of car did you take to Pebble? The first time that that first time was uh, the Paxton, uh, the oh, Paxton Fiat. A very unique car for sure. Let's have a little bit of fun here, and I'm really curious to how you're going to answer this question. You've had so many vehicles. What was your first really special unique car, and if you could share a memory with that vehicle? Wow, that's a tough question. You know, it's not. You know, I, the first car I bought was a, was a Porsche, <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. and, and, it, and it was the only one in the neighborhood. Of course, it was 12 years old, and it was 1500 bucks. Uh, <laughs> but it wasn't something, again, not having grown up in a car family, there was nothing that I had. I kind of lusted for everything, you know, the old automotive ADD. Mm-hmm. But the fact that my first car was a car like that as opposed to, a, you know, a Chevy or a Ford or a Plymouth that, you know, everyone else in my neighborhood was driving, I think was, you know, kind of the beginning of that. I, I've got to say the greatest chase I've had just ended a couple of years ago, and it was a car called the Hoffman X8 that uh, I saw about 15 years prior and kind of continued to ask and uh, cajole and uh, plead <laughs> for <laughs> and quietly. And, uh, you know, when I finally took possession of that in 2011, 2012, I'd say that's probably the one that, 
you know, that, that acquisition is probably the one that, that was like my greatest aha moment. That was great. Tell us a little bit about that vehicle. You know, I'll tell you as much as I know, because one of the greatest things about that car is it's still shrouded in mystery. It's, uh, it's a car that was built between 1932 and 1935 in Detroit. Originally, it was thought that uh, it was uh, done in conjunction with Henry Ford, but as we've discovered more, it turns out the Fisher Brothers funded the project, um, built by a guy named Roscoe Hoffman, Rod Hoffman, who was a journeyman engineer at uh, an independent engineering firm. He contracted all the major manufacturers in Detroit as well as Packard and Studebaker. It's uh, the wildest thing you'd ever want to see. It's a streamliner from the early 30s, but it's got a mid-engine, eight-cylinder X configuration with the transmission sitting behind it, and there's really nothing in that car that goes to anything else. We can't figure anything. Uh, <laughs> the, the engine block is unique. The transmission, the, the only, thing, only thing on the car that we've been able to find, it has two Model A fuel pump, uh, water pumps on it. Otherwise, the door handles, the lights, uh, all the body panels, obviously, are... Um, are unique to that car. Turns out we, we found a contract Hoffman had with the Fisher Brothers to build an experimental rear-engine car. I think the original contract was for 65000 but you could see all kinds of numbers crossed out, and finally ended up being 161000 in 1930s dollars. <laughs> wow. But uh, it's a pretty neat car. Hoffman kept the car until 1961. He gave the car to Brooke Stevens in 61 for his personal collection with the understanding that they would never sell it and never really talk about it. And it stayed in the Stevens estate till his passing in the 90s, and it stayed with his oldest son after that. So Wow. Very unique, interesting car. I love that. This may be another difficult question for you. Is there a vehicle that you've sold that you really wish you could have back in your garage? Yeah, that, that's, that's an easy question, actually, because there's, cause there's only one. I've had hundreds of cars, but there's only one that I have any bit of buyer, uh, seller's remorse on. And that's uh, that's my last Carrera Speedster, my 56 Carrera Speedster. My kids are about the same age as yours, and I needed a larger warehouse right about the time they were going to college. I found the perfect building. And, you know, being an immigrant with kind of old world values, my parents always beat it into me, you know, don't take on any debt, you know, mm -hmm. don't buy cash, pay cash for everything you possibly can. It's okay to have a mortgage, but don't have a mortgage for that long on your house. Yes. So when I found the new warehouse, it was perfect for me. It was right about the time both my girls were, were headed off to college. So rather than uh, take a loan on the property, uh, which at that time money was still cheap and easy, I kind of went the old world values, sold my career speedster, and paid cash for the building. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, big mistake. Well, <laughs> big mistake. you know, <laughs> we can all look back on those things. But, you know, the great thing is you got to spend some time with that vehicle, very unique, special vehicle. Well, you know, it, it, it's not so much the money. That car, up until some of the Japanese cars I, I've last couple of years, it was really the most fun car I've ever driven. Mm -hmm. And that, I think that was just as much of it as, you know, the, the financial aspect of it. Yes, yeah. Speedsters have a special place in my heart. I hope to have one someday. How about current projects? Is there a car or a car you're chasing or a project you're working on today that really has you excited and fired up? We got some cars that are being worked on right now. We're about to finish up the restoration on a 67 Glass 3000 GT. Okay, now that's a unique one. 
What is that? Glass was a, a German manufacturer. Um, they started doing small cars and scooters under the Gogomobile name. Oh, okay. And then they, they started building uh, more substantial cars in the 60s under the Glass name. Their kind of claim to fame was Hans Glass invented uh, the uh, timing belt on cars. He's the guy uh-huh. that started the revolution to go to timing belts rather than timing chains on the engines. Mm-hmm. And they started building some pretty stylish cars in the mid-60s. The way I really got hooked onto him, I'm a big fan of Pietro Frua and as a designer, and he, they used him to design many of their cars. So uh, the 3000 was their ultimate car. It was a big V8, basically two, their two four-cylinders kind of put together. And right about the time they started building their, their V8 car, um, BMW purchased glass for two reasons. One, to have the timing belt technology, but I think even more importantly, they had a great factory. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, and to this day, that factory is the largest BMW factory going. So we found one in Northern Europe last year, and it should be done, I'm guessing, in the next couple months. And right after that, we've got uh, a Fiat Ghia, one-off Fiat Ghia 1200 Coupe that Cabriolet that was uh, from the 57 Turin Auto Show stand, the, the Gia stand. Uh, Wonderful. That, yeah. Yeah. Huh. Such interesting cars. My goodness. Now, here's a very introspective question for you, Myron. I'm very interested in how you're going to answer this one. If you were a car, what kind of car would you be and why? You know, I, 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 I thought about things like that in the past. And, <laughs> uh, you know, there's a lot of baggage that goes along with some cars. Yeah. <laughs> you, don't want, you don't want baggage. You know, I kind of like my Hoffman. You know, it, it's it's interesting. It's not universally appreciated from an aesthetic standpoint, but it's a lot deeper than people know. And so I think I'd, I'd save my 35 Hoffman. 35 Hoffman. Very cool. Good answer. I like that. So Myron, up next is the last lap, but before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say a thank you to our Cars Yeah sponsor. No more worries about a dead battery. I've got the NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in your glove box and features rechargeable lithium-ion technology that'll start a dead battery in your car, boat, truck, or RV. It packs a whopping 12-volt, 400-amp starting power and can start up to 20 dead batteries on a single charge. Plus, it has built-in spark-proof technology and a reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart your vehicle every time. Includes a built-in ultra-bright dual LED flashlight, and it easily recharges with USB outlets so you can charge your smartphone or tablet while you're on the road. Works on any 12-volt lead-acid battery. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool. It's safe and easy to use. Quality, design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, your battery care source since 1914. Get yours at Genius Chargers dot com all right myron we're back and we're entering the last lap and this is where i'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers so you ready got it what is the best automotive advice you've ever received it was from my dad uh when he saw that i was going to be crazy buying cars said uh Never buy a car you can't pay cash for. there you go great advice <laughs> yes listen kids <laughs> it's the way to buy a car would you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your success? Basically, don't be afraid to ask questions. You know, don't don't consider yourself in any certain situation that you can't ask a question to uh, to get ahead. Do you have a resource that you'd like to share with our listeners that you think they would really enjoy? I've always been a Jalopnik fan from the beginning, and I, th- I think they still do great stuff. We just had uh, Matt Hardegree on the show a few days ago. 
Oh, great, great. You know, bring a trailer. I've been addicted since the second week. <laughs> Randy's another one who's been a guest on Cars. Yeah, yeah. R- Randy's great. Yeah, they do a great job. It's great to see them grow and proceed. And, uh, you know, as far as a, a person, you know, I, I got to give props to, to my good friend, Lynn Smith, who is just a genius of a mechanic and uh, blessed to have him with me in my shop and, you know, just loves the challenges and uh you know when you're working on a car that's a one-off with you know no parts at AutoZone and no manuals mm-hmm. <laughs> on, on the internet he's uh i couldn't have this stuff without him but he's a forensic mechanic so he has his own business and he just kind of works on weird things for friends uh at his leisure and for his own enjoyment which is uh, again a huge blessing is there a book that you'd like to share with the Cars Yeah listeners you think they would really enjoy? I think the one I mentioned earlier, The Reckoning, right now kind of has my attention. And uh, it's especially appropriate now because you see the Japanese manufacturer, the book was written probably 20, 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. The Japanese manufacturers were kind of making a couple years ago the, the same types of mistakes when they ran into some of their quality issues and you know their complacency in, in this country. So We'll add it again to our listeners' library. You can find links to all these great resources at carsyad.com slash Myron Vernis. And Myron's last name is V-E-R-N-I-S. All right, Myron, we're up to the checkered flag. And this last question can be a bit of a doozy, especially for someone like you who collects so many different unique cars. If you could only have one collector car in your garage, but don't worry about the cost because today I'll buy you whatever you'd like that exists in the world. What would that one vehicle be and why? Well, you know, I'm blessed to say that I have it. <laughs> oh, right. That's going to save me yeah. a few bucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, and it's my Paxton. And at, at the time that I bought it 17 years ago, I had no idea that, you know, it was going to be that car. But the more I think about it, uh, the more I've thought about it over the years, it, it will be the very last car I have. I, there's just so many great things about that car, so many interesting things about some of that. You know, in addition to Frua, I'm a big Brooks Stevens fan, and to me this was one of his masterpieces, the fact that it's one-off, cover car April road and track, April 57 road and track, all kinds of great stuff about the car. And, uh, you know, people ask me that question fairly often. They say, mm-hmm. what car will you never sell? I said, well, is that? I, I don't know if you... Uh, watch uh, Jerry Seinfeld's uh, Comedians in Cars. Uh, oh, yes. So, but he, he had a great line. I think it was last season when he had Seth Meyers on the show. And Seth Meyers is the most automotive illiterate person probably on the face because <laughs> they didn't know what a, what a 9-11 looked like. And uh, they, they walk around the corner and Seth Meyers says to, to Seinfeld, well, Seinfeld says here, he has 73 Career RS. He said, oh, what kind of car is this? And Seinfeld says, didn't miss a beat. He says, this is a dead man's car. <laughs> and Myers kind of gives him a look. He says, what do you mean? He said, well, I bought it from the family of a dead man, and the next owner is going to buy it from the family of a dead man. <laughs> and, and that's been the case of my Paxton. Noah, this is all, every owner, of, I'm the fourth owner. Every owner has had it till uh, he was gone. It was passed on by his estate. And that car is that kind of magic, and uh, kind of feel lucky to own it. Well, you are very fortunate, wonderful. I'm glad that you have it. And uh I'm really glad you have it because I don't have to buy your car today. So like I said, it's going to save me a few bucks. I appreciate that. Myron, you have taken me on a great ride today. I've really enjoyed your stories. And I want to thank you for sharing your amazing journey with collecting cars with the Cars Yeah listeners and with me. Could you give us one parting piece of guidance before you drive off into the sunset in your Paxton? You know, as far as cars go, you know, buy what you love. Then you don't have to worry about anything else. And that's, I know that's a cliche, cliche for a reason. 
Absolutely. It's a reoccurring message here on Cars. Yeah, something definitely worth thinking about, listeners, when you go out there to look for your dream car, no matter what it is. And again, you can find a link to everything we've talked about today at CarsYad.com. Just put Myron, M-Y-R-O-N, in the search box. His show notes page will pop up. Myron, is there a good way for people to learn more about you and your collection? I do have kind of a fledgling uh, website that my daughter's put together for me, uh, www.mobiliagarage.com. Some of my cars are on there, a couple of videos, and my contact information's on there. I always welcome visitors at the garage and uh, always like to visit people <laughs> when I'm out and about, too. So. Great, fantastic. And also, you can find some things on the World Wide Web, just Google Myron's name and you'll see a uh, talk with Jay Leno on the lounge at Pebble Beach will pop up on Jay Leno's garage. You'll see some things in Jalopnik. So uh, there's lots of ways to find Myron and uh, for him to share his collection with you if you can't stop by there. Thank you, Myron, for being so generous today with your time and your expertise and for sharing your experiences with our listeners. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Mark, thanks again for having me on. It's uh, It's been a real pleasure and uh truly honored that uh, you'd have me as a guest. Pleasure's all mine. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.